Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Dan Christian, a longtime educator and Dante enthusiast about the great Italian poet and philosopher whose death 700 years ago on September 14th, 1321, is being celebrated around the world. Good morning, Dan, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Carolyn. Really, really, really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You're originally from Peoria and earned your undergraduate degree in theology and history from St. Ambrose University. And after that, went on to teach a course on Dante for nearly 40 years as an educator in the Baltimore area. Correct. So who was Dante? Dante was a, an, an Italian poet. Uh, he was born in 1265 in Florence, Italy, um, and he died in 1321 in Ravenna. Mm-hmm. And he was actually exiled from Florence in 1302 um, unjustly and spent the last what would that be, the 19 years of his life sort of wandering around Italy trying to find a home. Mm-hmm. And he went on, of course, to write the Divine Comedy, which is one of the most important poems of the Middle Ages. Yes, and some people would think it might be actually some of the most important piece of literature ever written, not just in the Middle Ages, but, uh, but everywhere. He's been described as the father of the Italian language because he broke with a long tradition, writing in Italian rather than Latin. Why did that turn out to be so important? Well, I think it turned out to be important because it essentially makes the the story a little more accessible to every person. I mean, the the first line of the poem is midway through the, in the journey of our life. I came to myself in a dark wood when the straight way was lost. And Dante says, our life. So right away, he sets the tone that it's not just his journey, but our journey. So writing it in the vernacular essentially brings everybody into the, into the trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, it's pretty extraordinary to think about that, that to read something in Latin, you would have had to have been um, in, you know, involved in the church or uh, an educator or a historian, uh, just not the average person. So it really paved the way for literature to be available to the broader populace. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, how is the Divine Comedy structured, and what are some of its important themes? So it's um, it's it's structured as it had. There are three main parts: Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. It has fourteen. It's a big poem, fourteen thousand two hundred thirty-three lines. Um, each section, cantique, is what it's called in English. It would be canticle, uh, Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso. As I said, each of those has. Inferno has 34 cantos, Purgatorio has 33 cantos, Paradiso has 33 cantos. So it makes sense that uh, Inferno is numerically a little bit out of whack because Inferno is by definition the place that you want to sort of go uh, to avoid. Um, Dante broke it up into cantos, uh, which are sort of essentially for us to think about like chapters, but uh, comes from the Italian word cantare, which means to sing. So it's kind of a... It's kind of a hundred canto um, song, essentially. And he invented 
a rhyme scheme called Terzarima, which they or they're pretty sure that he is the first person to have to have done it, where the um, he divides the the poem into terces, three line units, and the first line rhymes with the third line, and the second line rhymes with the first line of the next tears it. So essentially, the rhyme scheme is going two steps forward, one step back, which kind of mirrors the nature of our growing up journeys as well, right? Oftentimes, we are moving forward, going back, moving forward, going back. So even the structure itself sort of conveys the trajectory of growing up. Mm-hmm. And translation of that great poem then must be quite difficult to, to try to mimic it. I'm guessing it, it's probably impossible to fully mimic that type of rhyming scheme. That's a gr- that's a really great question. There have been people who have tried. Um, Dorothy Sayers, who was a friend of C.S. Lewis's, and she did an entire her translation was an attempt at doing uh, Terzarima in English. Um, there was a poet laureate named Robert Pinsky um, back in the mid '90s who translated Inferno, and he also did a uh, a rhyme um, rhyme scheme in English. But it is very difficult. I mean, Italian on some level is a little bit easier to rhyme um, than English is. But yeah, it's really, really, it's very, very difficult. I think to terzarima it in English and make it have the same kind of s- seamless flow as it does in the Italian. Well, it sounds like Dante played with so many things. He used repetitive uh, use of certain numerals, three and nine as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he loved the numbers three and nine, and mostly because I think fundamentally it had to do with the fact that, you know, being a, a Roman Catholic person, um, the, the Trinity is affirmed by the number three. So, and then the Trinity multiplied by itself is nine. So he really went... Uh, Kind of crazy off of uh, off of the uh, off the number nine. I mean, the first nine cantos of each canticle is a in, deals with an individual segment of the story itself. Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. Whenever you get to Canto Ten, you're going through a significant transition. So he made sure that the nine mattered. He also associated the number nine because of the birth date of Beatrice, the woman that was kind of his muse, he associated her with the number nine. So there are, nines are, um, are just all over the poem, mm-hmm. all over the place. It sounds like there's almost a numerical like scaffolding. Um, I'm imagining, you know, it's yes. supported by that. That's in, a great, that's a great word, excuse me, that's a great word choice, scaffolding. That's the perfect, because there's been some uh, readers, critics that have said that essentially the, the entire divine comedy is like a cathedral. Mm. And so the, the building blocks of its structure in lots of ways sort of hold it, uh, hold it together. Mm-hmm. So we follow Dante, who's a pilgrim, through, um, through the Inferno and then through Purgatory and then into Paradise. Um, you know, it's really a story about salvation. So why is it entitled a comedy? It's, it doesn't really fit w- w- how we envision a comedy. Yeah, in, in the current age. Correct. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, comedy like it's not a, uh, a fourteen thousand two hundred thirty three line Saturday Night Live uh, skit, um, but it's a comedy because the traditional understanding of comedy in a literature sense was a story that started um, in sort of darkness and ended ended happily. And one of the other cool things about the word comedy is that the um, the word comedy etymologically comes from two words that mean rustic song or village song. 
So essentially, you have kind of a huge epic poem that's kind of one big seamless folk song. Um, so it's, but it's a comedy because it ends, it, it ends happily. So a tragedy would be something that has an unhappy ending. Yes, I think that, I think that absolutely, you know, makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Dante's Divine Comedy has been read for 700 years now, which is a very long time. And, and still, despite the men's changes in our lives and in our culture, it remains relevant. So how do you explain its enduring legacy? Well, I think it um, initially, you know, when he talks about uh, that this story is about our life um, and the fact that Dante was in exile, he'd been kicked out of his home unfairly. I think the fact that he is sort of wandering and wakes up in midlife at age 35 and realizes that he's lost, I think that resonates with people, particularly, you know, during our very struggling last year and a half in terms of COVID and things that people are finally kind of having the ground sort of pulled away, pulled out from underneath them. And Dante's story starts with a person who finds himself lost. So I think it really tends to resonate with people in lots of levels simply because he's one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he was falsely accused of governmental corruption and then he was exiled in 1302, I, I think, and wrote his masterpiece while he was away from Florence, his beloved city. Do you think the fact that he was living in exile was important and or even necessary to the creation of the Divine Comedy? Well, that's a really great question. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it's a man. It's about a man who's, he never lost love for Florence. He always imagined, actually describes it in Paradiso, that he hoped someday to go back to be um, receive the laurel wreath at the um, baptismal font where he was baptized in Florence. So he always wanted to go home. Yet at the same time, he was throughout the poem, he is very, very critical of how Florence has lost its way and is very, very corrupt. So there are parts in the, in the poem where Dante is very, very, very critical of his hometown. He's sort of like a member of the loyal opposition mm-hmm. in the sense, even though he was exiled, he even used to sign some correspondence. They think he would sign them as Dante Ligier, they Florence by birth, but not of character. And you'd mentioned earlier when we were speaking that you've had certain groups of students for whom that the poem resonates even more because of the fact that it was written in exile. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the school where I taught, we had lots of um, lots of kids from lots of different you know backgrounds, and had you know Muslim kids in class, had Jewish kids in class, Christian kids in class, you know, agnostic kids in class. And lots of times it seemed that some of the Jewish kids who certainly have experienced exile in their history um, had a particular aptitude to seeing into Dante's, into Dante's struggle. And even Primo Levi, who was a um, Holocaust survivor, you know, an Italian chemist, um, when he was in Auschwitz, actually used Dante as a way of remembering, you know, who he was and the fact that he could think. He recited, can't, tried to remember from high school, Canto 26 of Inferno, and he recited it to one of his um, campmates. Uh, and then he talks about how Dante helped him uh, remember who he was while he was suffering such outrageous mm-hmm. pain. What would you recommend for a Dante novice, someone who hasn't read his works before? Um, you know, it's not easy reading. Someone I listened to described it as a difficult thicket. Um, so what's the best way to introduce 
yourself to his writing? That's, that's again, that's a wonderful question. I, I think it is, um, Dante tends to have a reputation of being kind of this graduate level, uh, esoteric, almost beyond access story. But Dorothy Sayers put it perfectly. She says that Dante, and she didn't realize this until she started to read her grandmother's translation in 1945, that Dante Alighieri was the most incomparable storyteller who ever set pen to paper. Mm-hmm. So what we should do is don't be afraid um, and you know turn to Canto One. <clears throat> Alan Mandelbaum's translation is fabulous because it has helpful notes, but not so voluminous that you get psyched out and you read it because it's a story. Before it's anything else, um, it is a story and it's very accessible. And when you get to the parts that you don't understand, uh, go to the notes. If the notes don't help, take a deep breath, keep reading because you're going to find gems of moments in the story that are going to make you glad that you're a reader. Both life and writings are so obviously meaningful to you. When do you recall first reading uh, Dante's work? Yeah, I took a course at uh, St. Mary's Seminary and University, which is out in Baltimore. took a course by Father Joseph Gallagher uh, on Dante, and it was life-changing. We read John Sinclair's translation, and there were some moments early on that were so beautifully poignant that it was like reading Dante was almost as if Dante's story knew me better than I knew myself. So I felt like I had um, Dante's story became, and it sounds a little hokey, but Dante's story became kind of a source of supplemental oxygen for me. Oh. Um, so it's, uh, it was back in 1981 mm-hmm. when I first read it. And you've described the unexpected grace, I think those were your words, of becoming an English teacher. Yes. Yeah, yeah I got to become an English teacher simply because the school where I was teaching needed a ninth grade English teacher, and I was just there part-time, and the athletic director told the head of the school that I could teach English, and they did not realize that I'd barely read four novels my entire life. <laughs> and the whole world of books opened up in a way. I was like Dorothy coming out of the house from black and white to color. <laughs> it was an uh, unbelievable, yeah, unexpected grace, like, oh my goodness, you know, you just never know that just around the corner opportunities are going to come your way and that came my way and then Dante as part of that and then now here I sit you know still alive getting a chance to read Dante and um, so I've been a pretty fortunate person. Yeah that's great. You, you taught at a collection of schools mainly the Gilman in school Gilman school in, in Baltimore. Yes yep I taught at Gilman for uh, taught at a couple of schools in the Quad Cities but I taught at Gilman um, for 39 years mm-hmm. and um, we read the Divine Comedy, and I used to tell the kids, and it's true, um, that it wasn't like I taught Dante as much as we read it together. And I was just a more experienced fellow pilgrim on the road, but I very much depended on these kids because each kid had a key, a unique key that opened a unique door into the story. And so we read the story together. I just graded the papers on Dante's behalf. Mm-hmm. Dante was a real teacher. <laughs> well, looking back after your long teaching career, what would you say was one of the most important lessons that your students took away from the course that you taught? Well, I, you know, what I, I think what I hope is, and the, when my, the best lines that we told the kids at the beginning, because I heard John Chiardi say this in a lecture, Uh, on a recording I'd heard that to read Dante is to educate the eye, that we can see better after having looked through Dante's eyes. So my hope is that the kids, and I had some wonderful kids, I mean, they they wrote thoughtfully, they often put their lives on the line in terms of having enough courage to confront, you know, to 
ask that question to actually live the examined life or to try to begin to live the examined life. Um, I think that what I hope that at reading Dante and hopefully for these kids is that they came away that what reading well does is it is it cultivates in us a meaningful sense of urgency mm. that to you know we get to live one time and if there's another life you know it has a whole lot to do with the quality of this one um, so I hope they walked away from their experience that um, that reading books are alive and that we need to have them in our lives because it's urgent uh, that we do so. It is urgent. It allows for self-reflection. It helps us um, make a little bit more sense of our place in the world. Perhaps it gives us, gives us hope and joy. Beautifully said. Yeah. Well said. Well, there are many different worldwide celebrations that are planned in honor of the 700th anniversary of Dante's death, which is September 14th a series of readings, concerts, exhibitions. What are you planning on doing that day? Well, I'm, what I'm going to plan to do is, you know, I have some Dante projects that I'm working on, uh, working on now. One of the things that we used to do in our class, we tried to incorporate lots of folk music into our class, partly because high school kids don't realize how much they desperately need folk music. So it gave me a chance to kind of force feed them some Harry Chapin and John Denver. And But I had some local friends, so I have a project where I want to write a book sometime about how um, some folk music from performed by some friends of mine who've done a lot of public performances constitutes like the soundtrack of the Divine Comedy. So I'm going to spend the 14th um, reading a little Dante, a little, listening to the Bob and Pam Ortiz music from Chestertown, Maryland, and trying to work at getting this writing project off the ground. That sounds like a perfect day. Yeah, perfect day. Dan Christian, thank you so much for talking today on this 700-year anniversary of the death of the Italian poet and philosopher Dante Alighieri. Carolyn, thank you. This is a very special treat for me, so thanks for having me. You're welcome. And this has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.